Welcome to the sermon podcast from Redlands First United Methodist Church. This week we continue our worship series, New Year, Same Promise. Today we celebrate God's eternal promise through the experience of kingdom. Kingdom is the experience of the beloved community that is a counterpoint to hierarchy and patriarchy. It is a new community woven together by God's loving presence. Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the controversy of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a controversy with his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? In what have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what King Balak of Moab devised, what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him. And what happened from Shittim and Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Let the church hear what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. Our gospel lesson this morning comes to us from Matthew's gospel, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. The very uh, well-read, well-worn passage, the Beatitudes, the very beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. 
Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let the church hear what the Spirit is saying. Friends, I would invite you to pray with me as you see it printed in your order of service. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Eight centuries before Jesus was born, the people of Israel were suffering greatly. They were suffering in large part because of King Hezekiah's rule, because of of his policies. Uh, They were embroiled in war. There was uh, corruption. There was violence within Israel. The community was being degraded over and over and over again. There was a sense of hopelessness. There was international intrigue as they were being um, pressured by all of their neighbors. They thought, in the midst of all of this turmoil, that all they had to do was follow the law. All they had to do was worship correctly. All they had to do was make the appropriate sacrifices, right? And there was a menu for them. If you did this sin, you made this sacrifice. If you did this sin, you made this sacrifice. And as long as they made the sacrifice, then they'd be okay. God would sort it all out. But over the course of months and years, it got worse and worse and worse until the northern kingdom was no more. And eventually, Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, fell to the Babylonians and for a period of time was no more. They were degraded. They were in despair. I think that we live in a time where we can feel their pain. Because we have seen the way over the course of a generation how our life together has been similarly affected by policies that, that we have lived under. The rise of tribalism, the rise of a uh, politics of personal destruction has left us vulnerable. We sit under a foreign policy that for generations has led us into endless war. We sit under an economic policy that is weighted toward the top, where the 1% keep having wealth shifted in their direction. We live in a healthcare system that has been commoditized, that you can get good health care as long as you can afford it. And if you can't afford it, well, we know the stories of all of the people who have ended up in bankruptcy just to get health care. We live under this health care system where drug companies, in order to increase their profits, flood poor communities with highly addictive opioid painkillers. 
And now we're dealing with generations of people addicted. We understand. We understand what happens when tribalism and the policies of our leaders are left to run amok. It's, it's a hard truth to realize. We see it happening not only in, in these kinds of policies, but we, happen, we see it at street level. As racism and religious persecution continues to divide us one from another. I guess the question, and forgive, forgive me if it sounds a little snarky, how's it working for us so far? Really, how's it working for us? Now, lest you think I'm bringing politics into it, step back. Because this is not about politics. This is about the call that exists within the gospel, laced deeply within the scriptural witness about who we are called to be together. From the very beginning of the people of faith, it was about the creation of a community, of a kinship, of a body, of a people. Not a microcosm of people, but the human community. Israel's chosenness was not about creating this little special holy enclave in the midst of, a, of an uncertain world. Israel was to be a priestly people. They were to be out in the world representing this vision that God has for community to all the nations. To all the nations. And likewise, the church adopted that language in the early days of the church to be a priestly people, that the role of the church is not to be this imperial reality that is enclaved over here. We're going to heaven and the rest of y'all are going to hell. We were to be a priestly people to carry the grace of Christ, the promise of God's eternal presence. We were to be this flowing river that goes out into the deserts of the world and to bear witness to something more than our tribalisms, more than our separation, more than our pain, more than our uncertainty. We had a hope that we could carry to the world. Not imperialistically, not triumphantly, not to build the church, but to build the human community. This is our call. And the, the texts that, that uh, Colleen and I read earlier from the prophet Micah and from the Sermon on the Mount give us a roadmap into understanding what that looks like and what that means for us as a people of faith. And how do we reflect this in the world? Because it's one thing to say, oh, we've got the roadmap. Okay, uh, this, uh, the roadmap says I go this way and keep it to yourself. No, the roadmap is, we says we go this way. Okay, come on, y'all, this way. And we go this way together. And it, it's all about relationship. Our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. The prophet Isaiah, oh my gracious, 
or excuse me, the prophet Micah. We did Isaiah the last couple of weeks. The prophet Micah makes it really clear to this people of Israel who thought that all they had to do was make the right sacrifice. He says to the people, look, you can, you can sacrifice 10,000 rams. You can have thousands of rivers of oil. You can have oil running through the street. You can have animal sacrifice blood running through the street. You can lift all of this up to God, and it will never be enough. It will never be enough. Because you see, it's not about sacrifice. Our worship isn't about what we sacrifice in animals or in oil. Our sacrifice, our worship, if we really want to know what worship looks like, he makes it really clear. He makes it simple enough that it fits on one arm. To do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with God. To align ourselves, to do justice, is to align ourselves in the world with what God's purpose is. To align ourselves with the work of bringing kinship and community, transformation, healing, redemption, reconciliation. To create a community of transformation where people are cared for. To love kindness. At the end of the day, if we are not loving one another with that kind of kindness, if we are not willing to let go of our stuff, our isms, and stand alongside, then our work is diminish. And above all, to walk humbly with God, to recognize that we don't always know everything. The things that we love, the things that we believe, we hold them with great humility. And we trust that God knows more than we do. And that because God is always present with us, if we align ourselves with that over the course of our life, we will understand and we will grow. The Beatitudes are such an incredible gift to us. And they remind us, they, they, they are about how we live with one another and how we live with God. What are our priorities? What, do we, what is the face that we represent to our family, to our workplace, to our church, to our community? Are we really reflecting the grace and the promise that we've received? Are we humble? Do we have the capacity to mourn with people who mourn? Do we have the capacity to realize that the, the things that we are dealing with right now and the brokenness that we experience right now isn't what God has in mind? Do we have the capacity to grieve over that and then to do something about it? To hunger and thirst to be aligned with what God is doing in the world. To hunger and thirst to know God and to love God, the hunger and thirst to know one another and to love one another and stand with and walk with and serve with one another. Are we hungry for that? Are we thirsty for that? We want to be God's children, right? We are. We, we consider ourselves to be God's children. 
And we, we take that on with a, with a sense of hopefulness and a sense of pride. But remember who it is that Jesus is calling God's children? Blessed are the peacemakers. The people who work to bring not just the absence and the end of conflict, but to bring shalom, to bring wholeness. To lift people up. To provide in the way, in the best way that we can for people's needs. And not just palliative, but to, to learn how to be advocates. To learn how to be advocates for one another. To learn how to be advocates for people who are suffering from addiction or mental illness. People who are living on the streets. People who have a, a full-time job and yet still they can't house or clothe or feed their families adequately. To be advocates to say, this is not right. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with God. Blessed are the meek, the poor in spirit, the merciful, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the peacemakers. See, friends, this is our roadmap. This is a, this this path that's called for it as these two texts are woven together. Create a kinship with us. They create for us all a sense of belonging. If we live by the ethos that's within these two texts. We wake up one day to find that we have created a space where people belong, where people are protected, where people are cared for, where people's lives are transformed. And as we experience that as individuals and as we experience that as a community and then reflect it out in the world, then day by day the world is transformed and kingdom is realized. Not kingdom in the sense of patriarchy and hierarchy and the top and the bottom, because that's not working so well for us. But kingdom in the sense that we are in this together and that we work with and for and advocate with and for one another. And it's recognized in this table. It's recognized in this meal where there is no hierarchy, where there is no patriarchy, where there are no isms, where there are no phobias, we all get the same invitation to come and eat at this table. My friends, my family, this is kinship. This is who we're called to be. This is what our texts exhort us to do and be. And so the question now becomes, boy, this is a heavy one. Is this what you reflect? This meal, this table, this hope. When the world sees you, do you reflect this grace? I guess that's the easy question. The harder question is, how 
do you reflect this grace? How do you reflect the hope and the promise of God that we experience together? How do you reflect to one another, not only in this place, but out there? How do you reflect the promise of kinship? This is the question that is is being begged of us at this period in our life, at this period in our history. Not how are we going to feather our nest. How are we going to reflect the hope and the promise of God? The food that's offered, how are we going to reflect and give this in a hungry and hurting world? That is the question before us. And the answer to that question is realized from this day forward for the rest of our life. You've heard me say, I'm kind of fond of saying this, the good news is you have the rest of your life to figure this out. And the bad news is you have the rest of your life to figure this out. But my friends, the journey is not solitary. We will take it together. We will learn from one another. We will grow with one another. We will serve with one another. And as we do, step by step, day by day, God's kingdom will be realized in us and through us. Thanks be to God. Amen.